Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. It's 2021, you guys. What? It's so funny because we were all like, we've just got to get through 2020 and then everything will be fine. Anyone say that? Anyone have this thing in their head? If I just get through 2020, then 2021 will be fine. And we kind of had it in our mind that for some reason, 2021 was going to be like the restorative antidote to what 2020 was. And then 2021's all like, oh, lol, you must be new here. Like... <laughs> what is happening? It's so funny. It's like we had this situation and it's like we've just got to do this and then we'll get this. We'll just then we'll turn the corner. Then it will be better. Anyone resonate with that? I'll just get through this exam period. Then it will be better. Yes, we're building a house at the moment. You know, if you want to like lose all your money, have no personal space and have To make so many decisions, you want to stab yourself in the face with a building pen, if that's a thing, then do what we're doing and and renovate your home. Amazing. Um, And you can live with your mother-in-law all at the same time. God is good. All the time. Come on, say it with me now. But it's so funny. I had no idea how much stuff costed. You know baths cost like thousands of dollars? What? Surely Audi's got to solve for that. <laughs> um, taps. You know, like, you've got to choose taps. I'm like, cool, show me the taps. And I'm thinking, oh, this tap, this tap, or this tap. No, it's infinity taps. And you can spend $8,000 on a tap, or you can spend $80 on a tap. And I'm like, how does one choose? Will one be disappointed if one spends $8,000 on a tap, or will one be fine with the $80 tap? Or again, should we consult Audi and see what they've got to contribute to this? It's crazy. And I just find myself sitting there just going, come on, come on, come on, come on. I just want to get into the house because then I'll be able to get on with things. Then life will fall, like, fall into place. Then I'll have personal space again. Then I will have a walk-in wardrobe. Yeah. <sighs> You know, suffering for Jesus, that's what I'm all about. But I'm just like, and the builder's like, yeah, 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 cool, 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 cool. Um, but before we get to the then, you get your happily ever after, you've got to make a bunch of decisions. And I'm like, what? I don't have to, you have to steward your money, you have to decide on this, you have to figure that out, we have to da 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 we have to problem solve. I'm like, surely that's why we hired you. Why do you need me in this? And he's just like, okay, I'm just like, I just want to get to the new house. And he's like, well, you've got to do these 47,000 things, then you get your new house, Right? Um, here's another COVID reality to throw out your way. Um, hands up if your jeans don't quite fit the same since someone ate about. Heck, I feel like there's more of you. Stop it. I know you're all young adults. You've got metabolisms and whatnot. You're not better than me. Anyway, post-COVID Katie is struggling to zip up her jeans. Anyway, I was... Look, guys, I'm fine with myself. I've got a very supportive husband. I've tried keto. It's just... I just love carbs. What are you going to (laughs) do? Carbs are how I know that Jesus is on the throne, you know? Um, You want to fry those carbs? Then we've got the Trinity. Like, it's like, what's happening? Father, Son, and the hot cinnamon donut. Um, 
But like, um, I don't remember what I was talking about because now I'm thinking about donuts. What the, what the, oh, that's right, Pilates. So I couldn't do uh, my pants. And I was talking about it to um, my Pilates instructor and he's like, oh, for goodness sake, Hawksy. He goes, look, if you can just lose 10 kilos, I'm going to give you free Pilates membership for life. He was just like, what? Like, you've opened up the heavens. He's like, opened the Bifrost for me and vortexed me into Never Neverland or whatnot. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? He goes, yeah, if you can just lose 10 kilos, mostly so I don't have to hear you talk about this anymore, I will give you a free Pilates membership for life. And I was like, oh, that's incredible. I want the free Pilates membership. What I do not want is all the decisions I'm going to have to make between now and then you get a free Pilates membership, right? I don't want to talk about choosing taps. I want you to present me with the best option. Then I can just get on with my happy life. I want 2020 to be over because then 2021 will be better. (laughs) Amazing, right? But we often live in this space of one day when, right? We find it hard to sit in a moment or sit in a space because we're always gunning for some future outcome. We're kind of always looking ahead and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that so long as we don't lose ourselves and lose our sense of connection with heaven, with ourselves, with each other, with the reality of God in the midst of that. And so, thank you, Jeremy. And so, I I didn't know this, but You guys were speaking about renewal and revival through Feb, right? And because I am a prisoner of the journey, I don't get to come here as much as I would like. (laughs) But they let me out. I'm on parole tonight. I've got my ankle bracelet on. I'll be back there, my parole officer checking in. Um, And... um, And I didn't know that, and I wanted to share this word with you tonight. I wanted to bring you this big, sexy preach, and like everyone all jazz, it's going to be wild, but I'm just going to bring you a straight-up teaching tonight. You all right? Yes? All right. Well, come on, buckle up. So I want to delve into the concept of renewal and revival, but come at it from a slightly different way than we normally do. Now, I get that you've got Pastor Mark Sayers down the front here, you know, reappearing, churching your whole situation, and I'm into that. And it's going great. Like, David Kinnaman, Mark Matlock. What other books have you read lately, Mike? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. But I, I just... I love that because I love that God isn't finished with us yet and I love that the spirit is moving and he was speaking to me just as he's speaking to you and he's speaking. And so like in my mind, I'm pricking up my ears right now and I'm like, oh, okay, God, what are you saying? What do you want us to hear tonight? So I felt to um, delve into a scripture that talks about what happens then. Then X, Y, and Z. Then. And we love and we feel familiar with this space of then, but I want to put some scripture around that for you tonight. So my message tonight, if you're taking notes, is called here to then. It's not here to there, it's here to then. Now, um, there was a king in the Old Testament. Many of you will be familiar with him. His name was King David, and he is known as the man after God's own heart. I love the story of King David. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal figure in the Bible from whom we learn so much. But before we get to the fact that he wrote half the Psalms and, you know, killed Goliath and whatnot, let's talk about some real truths. David, God bless him, was the king of Israel and kind of started to lose sight of himself in the midst of his success, his wealth, his privilege, 
got a bit arrogant and he sees a beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop. Why she was bathing on a rooftop, I don't know. And yet that was the reality. David sees her, is filled with lust, calls for her, has an affair with her and gets her pregnant. The, the man after God's own heart did this. So let's just write that down. So whatever you got going on, God's not afraid of your reality. He wants to redeem your reality. Amen. So King David, the man after God's own heart, the one who led the armies, the one with David's mighty men, oh my gosh, he's such a stunning man, lost his way, lost sight of God, lost sight of himself, failed to accurately estimate himself in light of who God is, and fell into lust and sin. Now Bathsheba was married to a man named Uriah who was a battle, a battle, he was a battle, he was in battle, he was a soldier. And then David freaks out when he realizes that Bathsheba is pregnant and he tries to cover his tracks. So he's had an affair with another man's wife, not that he didn't have a harem of his own. Then he realizes that he's gotten her pregnant, so he doubles down on the degradation that he is committing and conspires to have this man, the husband, killed in battle. So he sends Uriah to the front line knowing that there is a 99.9% .9 chance that he will die in battle, and bada-bing, what happens? He dies in battle David marries Bathsheba and thinks, whew, that was a close one, right? You ever weaseled your way out of something? I sure have. So much. And David did it on an epic scale. But then the prophet Nathan, a wise man of God, a friend of David, comes to him and he looks at him and he says, David, what have you done? And then David's like, what, what, what? And he said, and then he says, look at what you have done, David. Look at what you have done. And he presents David with the reality of his sin. He presents to David the reality of his choices and he calls him out on it, not because Nathan wanted to win, but because Nathan knew that David was called to more, that this was not conduct becoming, that this was not a life worthy of the gospel he had received. Are you with me? And so Nathan stands in front of him and he tells truth to power and he says, look at what you have done. And David, God bless him, is cut to the core. And he falls to his knees and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And he pours out his heart in prayer and writes a psalm. And that's the psalm that I want to teach you from tonight. And when he wrote this song, he was in this space of realizing that he needed something that only God could give him. That only God could give him. Because by every human metric, David was killing the game. He was handsome, tick. You know, he used to be a shepherd, got promoted to like the bachelor 2021, loving his life, king, successful in battle, beloved among the people, the man after God's own heart, the presence of God was with him, the favor of God was on him, and on and on it went by every human metric. David needed nothing. And yet he finds himself penning this song as he realizes the state of his reality against the holiness of God. And so he writes Psalm 51. And I want to read you verses 10 to 13. Now remember, we're talking about revival here, so stay with me. And it says this, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, everyone say then. You got it? Then. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that, my iPad has just died, so that sinners will turn back to you. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Can I just say this to you tonight, Encounter Church? The difference between your potential and what will actually happen through this church is going to be won and lost in the battle of a willing spirit. It's not about your level of resource. It's not about how much you know, how skilled you are, but the battle is won when we are willing. Amen? When we are willing to take God's ways, God's words, God's invitation and move in that space rather than requiring of ourselves that we achieve a certain level because it's going to be, oh, then one day, then one day, maybe God, well, then one day, maybe God. And it's not helpful. It doesn't serve you well. The willing spirit to sustain me because then... I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. So what fills the gap between where we are now, between here, between where we are and where we want to be in Jesus' name? What fills the gap? What is between A and B? You know, if our degradation, if our sinfulness, if our pride, if our brokenness, if our inability sits here, And revival, a renewed church, the bride of Christ, spotless, walking down the aisle to Jesus is here. What happens? What is the economy? What is the equation? What happens in between that? This is the question that the church is charged with answering. Amen. And so what is the gap between where we are and when, where we want to be? What is between here and then? So before we sort of dig into that and dig into this scripture, I want to read you a definition of revival that I read in this gigantic book that I inherited from my late father-in-law. And it weighs about five and a half kilos, and it's called the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. I'm sure you've all got a copy. Fits nicely into an overhead locker on the plane. (laughs) And it's this fantastic book, and when I'm wanting to understand something more deeply, I'll read the articles, the scholarly articles. It's like an encyclopedia of the Bible. Super, super helpful. Anyway, this is an article by a theologian named R.E. Davids, Reginald Edward Davies. Cannot confirm whether or not those are his actual Christian names, but whatever. He says this, going to be up on the screen for you again. The classic understanding of revival is that of a period of unusual and heightened spiritual activity in a section of the church brought about by a renewing and empowering work of the Holy Spirit, bringing a new sense of the presence of God, especially in his holiness. A new sense, a new awareness, a new ability to not just see, but to perceive, to understand The presence of God, especially as it relates to his holiness, the truth of who God is, resulting in a deeper awareness of sin in the lives of believers, followed by new joy as sin is confessed and forgiven. This is then, this is then 
followed by witness to others, both nominal Christians and outsiders to the faith, bringing them to a similar experience of confession, repentance and faith. Come on. Yes? Come on. So this is an academic essentially an academic description, an academic telling of what is happening to David in Psalm 51, which while we're talking about it, reminds me of 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and then I will forgive their sin and then I will heal their land. Amen. This is revival. Create in me a pure heart, God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your spirit. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. For then I will show transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. This is revival. And so what's happening to David is happening on a personal level, what needs to happen corporately. And it's not written necessarily as a revival prayer, but this is absolutely a revival prayer. At the very least, at the very least, at the very least, a reality, an awareness, an assessment which enables God to work through his people as a vessel. And so this is the stuff of revival. This psalm lays out what it looks like to be far away from God and find your way back not just to him, but to his purpose and plan for the world. And so again, what we learn so much in the Bible is that none of this is about us. It's about us laying down our lives for the church. And I find that so often we are so keen as Christians, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, we're very keen to please ourselves and to stay comfortable. Anyone? Mm, so annoying. Why? But we have a, our human nature is to settle. We have a tendency to settle. We have to resist that and be constantly relying on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to see what the new thing is that God is doing. But I don't want us to settle for serving ourselves. But what I want us to do is to be discipled in the presence of God so that we can serve the world. Are you with me? So we want to disciple ourselves in the ways and words of Jesus Christ. We want to position ourselves in humility in, with a clear and revelation of the holiness of the God. God to whom we worship, the God that we serve, the God who plucked you out of the jaws of sin, hell, death and destruction and gave you an inheritance beyond your wildest imaginings. Accurately perceiving that is the ball game. Amen. Accurately perceiving that means that you will lay your life down. You will stand and say, teach me, shape me, mold me, make me that I might teach transgressors your ways. Yes, this is the ball game, And this narrative is seen over and over and over again in the Bible. People who've lost sight of God, taken things into their own hands. David's like, I'm going to solve this problem, man. I am going to solve this problem, even if it means I have to kill a guy. And he killed a guy and he justified it to himself. They've lost sight of God, taken things into their own hands, been driven by their pride or by their fear and made a mess of things. And then God in his presence with his grace and through his kindness restores them through confession, repentance and restoration. Story of Genesis, the book of Hosea, Mary Magdalene, 
Israelites getting to the promised land. What a palaver that was. Far out. What a waste of... There's 40 years you're never getting back. Praise be. Like, seriously. Um, who else have we got? Um, Saul becoming Paul. Mary Magdalene, the prostitute who poured perfume on Jesus' feet. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. All had made a mess of things. But God wrote a story through their lives with his grace and with his power to position them to be witnesses to his reality. Amen. So then... In other words, after all this has happened, after you've created in me a clean heart, you've restored, you've forgiven, you've helped me to see your holiness again, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners may turn back to you. Then I can be a conduit, a vessel for revival. So why don't we take a minute and have a look at how we get to then. Are you all right? You all right online, praise again. Okay, so let's just break it down verse by verse. Verse 10, he, David says, created me a clean heart. And what he has to come, the first thing that has to happen is that he has to realize that sin has destroyed his heart. He's asking for a clean heart. We have to then call on the creator to do what only he can do. We have to create, uh, we, get, we can't create a clean heart in ourselves. We call on God to do that restorative work within us because we can't do it ourselves. The clean heart doesn't exist in David. And so he calls to God and he says, will you create this in me? Will you create something that is not there? David had a heart, but it led him astray. So his first prayer is not a comfortable one. He says, will you create? Will you create from nothing what is not there? And again, David was killing the game. He had so much privilege, which gave him so much power. And he had to get on his knees and realize that he needed what only God could give him. Now, I think in the church, we haven't in the last generation or so been particularly good at talking about sin because we don't want anyone to feel judged. We don't want anyone to feel confronted. We're all woke and very important and lots of strong opinions, which we will tweet about if pressed, you know. And I think it's just not helpful. And I think that what that does then is in our desire and in our effort to reveal the love and the goodness of God, we permission things that actually are contrary to the word of God, that aren't helpful, that don't actually shape you and form you in the likeness of God. They just let you, you know, pursue a personal preference and turn it into something spiritual, right? And it's, it's really dangerous thing to do. And so it's hard to talk about sin because it's just like, well, you don't know my life. You don't know my story. You're not my real dad. Like, who are you when you're at home? Rah. And I get that. I bristle. You bristle. But the reality is, is that until we perceive ourselves accurately, which is that we are sinners who are broken and our hearts are filthy and the lesser parts of our character are going to destroy everything that God has bought for us. And so we need to be really, really aware of the power of sin and the sneakiness of sin in distracting and pulling away and justifying because I don't know anyone who just was born bad, right? Wouldn't that be weird little Olive? She's in here somewhere. She's not born bad. She's born beautiful. So it's these little incremental decisions, incremental decisions, incremental decisions. So we need to have language for talking about sin. We need to have a culture where we confess our sins to one another. James says, confess your sins to one another. It doesn't say confess them to God because God's like, clocked you, got it, awesome. Go tell your friend about it. Why? 
Why? Why does God do it that way? Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. So we go to God for forgiveness. We repent to God, but we confess to one another because that's where our healing comes, because that's where we own our reality and say, this is the ugly truth of my right now, and I need someone other than me and God to see it so that I will be accountable to the journey through it. Amen? So this is the reality. So we need to start asking God to create in us what only He can create, that clean heart. Make it new again, God. And then this gets really cool because we're talking about creating. And then he says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. And the word renew is translated in the Hebrew as bara. Bara. A beautiful word. Now, the word bara talks about something which was in a sad and feeble state, barely able to breathe or even hold its form. And then God will bara. He will renew it and then it will become something that only God can create. So this word bara is used all through the first chapter of Genesis when God is creating the word. And this word describes a work that only God can do. So we, he will bara, create or renew what is feeble and he can do it from nothing. So that's what he's doing here. Create a clean heart in me and renew. Will you borrow? Will you bring from nothing? Will you renew what is in a sad and feeble state, barely able to hold the form in which it was designed? But only God can do it. Amen? So anytime you think you can earn your way back to God, you can pay your penance, you can pay the piper, you can make up for it, just relax and realize that it's a work of borrow. It's the work that only God can do. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Actually, it's the joy of your salvation. Restore that to me, God. Let me feel that again when we were first in love and I was raising my hands and going to connect without fail. God, bring me back to that state when I was more excited about sharing you than I was about being perceived in the way that is comfortable for me, right? Bring me back to that state, realizing your first love, realizing the love that reaches into the darkness to resurrect you along with Jesus, not allowing ourselves to be familiar and dull to the epic miracle that has been outworked on your behalf by Jesus. He asks for that. He says, created me a clean heart. And then he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. The joy of your salvation will be that much easier, will be that much healthier, will have that much more room to flow when your heart is clean. So the joy of your salvation will flow out of a clean heart that's been restored by God to the manner in which it was always intended to be. So restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In other words, God, keep me humble enough, focused enough, envisioned enough to persist when it gets hard and when I am fighting with my lesser nature. Save me from the parts of me that will stay home when you want me to show up and show out, Lord God. Grant me the willing spirit to sustain me. And then in verse 13, then, after all of this happens, it's then 
We bring people into the ways of God. It's then in that space of confession and repentance and restoration and barah and the realizing again in that space of healing the joy of our salvation. It's in the desperate prayer of the believer for God to grant them a willing spirit to sustain them along the journey, which is never guaranteed to be easy. Then and only then. Are we as the followers of Christ positioned to teach transgressors the ways of God? Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then, once this work has been done, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sin. Then I will heal their land. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners may turn back to you. And I think just as I, as I close, you know, I think we're all King David. Amen? Like we're all there, all covering our tracks, trying to make ourselves look good, feeling pretty pleased with ourselves. Amen? I mean, you guys are great, like own that. But we are all like King David. And we are so privileged in the culture and the point in history at which we have been deposited in our comfort in our privilege, in our education, in what we know. And so it's hard for us to recognise a need, yes? Was that, uh, was that um, he who has been forgiven much loves much? It's hard for us to recognise our need for God. It's hard for us because we're good people. You're great. You're told that you're great. You're loved. You're beautiful. You're full of potential. You're working hard. You're doing good things. But the reality is, is that we need God to do a work in us that only God can do. And he can only do it in his presence. And he wants to work through you so that you can understand what it is to be saved. So that you can then go out and represent that faithfully. It's a sovereign work of God, but it requires us to come into his presence with this wretched uncomfortable, piercing, vulnerable appetite for being accurately perceived as we are. Not to be condemned, but to recognize our reality so that God can come in and borah within us. Because these are the steps toward revival. Once we've seen ourselves in the light of who God is, once we have allowed God, David wanted the new house with the fancy tap. He wanted the free Pilates membership. But he was less enthused about the way and the choices and the process and the journey of getting there. And it took a sovereign work of God. But he wasn't willing to address what needed to be addressed, what was between here and what was, be and what was then. You with me? So over here, we have sinfulness, brokenness, pride, arrogance, entitlement. And the steps to then were hard steps. They were vulnerable steps. They were tender steps. They were steps that need to be taken as a team. Amen? You know, it's funny. I'm sure Mike has, has shared this, but every documented revival in history has been preceded by unusual and heightened spiritual activity in the form of confession, repentance, prayer, worship, fasting, 
by a group of believers just like this who weren't content to sit where they were but they wanted to take steps to then because insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So Christians, come on. What does it mean to follow God into revival? Every documented revival in history. What was that definition of revival again? A period of unusual and heightened spiritual activity in the church brought about by a renewing and empowering work of the Holy Spirit, bringing a new sense of the presence of God, especially in his holiness, resulting in a deeper awareness of sin in the lives of the believers, followed by new joy as sin is confessed and forgiven. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then this is followed by witness to others, bringing them to a similar experience of confession, repentance and faith. So my encouragement to you, Encounter Church, is to make this part of your daily practice, part of your practice as a team, part of your practice as Connect, part of your practice in your everyday is to start with this prayer, God, will you create in me what is not there, but what is needed in order for me to understand the beauty of my salvation, the joy of my salvation. And Lord, will you grant me a willing spirit to stay in that reality, to stay in that space when it's challenged and when I'm angry and distracted and disappointed and hurt and grieving and lustful and all of the things that we all are so much of the time. Let's make this part of our daily practice to understand the actual work that needs to be done. And to normalise confession, to normalise repentance, to normalise giving room for the Holy Spirit to do its empowering work. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.